Welcome to the inner world of filmmaking. I'm your host, Tammy McGarrow. I'm a writer, director, editor, and a podcast producer. In this show, I will interview filmmakers in all facets of production and distribution. On today's show, we'll be talking about the life of an editor. I'm so excited to have Robin Martin, who is an award-winning filmmaker and has worked in all facets of production for over 15 years. Welcome, Robin. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Tammy. Uh, looking forward to to our chat today. Yeah, me too. Um, and I met you in the San Diego Final Cut Pro user group, which I think is just an excellent group to learn Final Cut. Uh, there's a lot of expertise in there. And you and Michael Tao have been running that group for over seven years, right? Something like that. Yeah, the group has kind of morphed over time, uh, just because, you know, Final Cut versions have come and gone. Uh, when Final Cut 10 first launched, uh, the guy that was running the group uh, initially uh, was, was not super happy, was not really on board with it. So he sort of like let it go. And then that's when Mike Tao and I stepped in and started running the group because we were using um, 10. We really liked it and were eager to kind of share what we had learned, learn from others and kind of make sure the, the user community here in town was was still going. I've learned so many things going to the group. Uh, is it still existing since COVID? It's we're on a bit of a hiatus. Um, we uh, we're already kind of having some challenges with our meeting space. Um, we had um, space at UCSD Extension uh, that we weren't able to to use anymore. So we were still kind of trying to find a, a new spot to meet regularly. Uh, yeah, and then COVID <laughs> happened, and we did a couple of online meetings. Uh, and then also Apple's just kind of slowed down on development of Final Cut Pro, so we haven't had a ton of new topics to to meet about lately. Um, and so we're sort of waiting to see what happens next with the with the app. Now, do you feel that um, you also have a Facebook page for uh, the San Diego chapter? Yeah. How is that going? Do you get field a lot of questions in there? Uh, a little bit. It's it's fairly quiet. I think, you know, we're a, a well-hidden uh, secret on there. Uh, but there's kind of a core group of people that will post things pretty regularly, that share uh, new articles or updates that come out. Uh, so yeah, it's it's not a super active group. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's still uh, going there. Are you affiliated with any other Facebook groups mm -hmm. that you would recommend for an editor? Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, there's there's uh, some San Diego video editors groups um, out there that uh, I would recommend folks join if they're here locally in town. Um, there's also other Final Cut Pro user groups and editing groups on Facebook that are that are great to join up with. And then I'm also part of an organization called San Diego Media Pros. Um, and we uh, kind of cover everything related to production, not just editing, but uh, producing, filming, cameras, you know, lights, microphones, writing, <laughs> everything, uh, all the way through post-production and distribution. Uh, and so um, uh, that's a great group that I would recommend people join as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of groups out there. I guess all you have to really do is just Google search editors. There's one in every town, probably. Yep. There's meetups as well. There's a lot of stuff on, on the meetup site. Uh, so yeah, I would say, you know, if folks are looking to get involved or meet others, uh, social media is a great way to just kind of reach out and find other folks. Yeah. So what's your favorite thing about being an editor? Oh, man. Um, if I had to pick, uh, I, I think it's that you you get the the final opportunity to to tell the story, whatever it is, you know, uh, different projects will go through a writing phase where the, the writer will imagine what the story could be and figure out what the words that the characters are going to say, figure out the locations and the action that then gets adapted when the director actually goes to make 
the the film or shoot a commercial or, or whatever it is the reality of the day of you know what happens on a set and what you can get and what you can as far as footage or new uh, opportunities new things that that get discovered it's it's all part of kind of adding to that story and then it's up to me as the editor to to take all those pieces and figure out what is the best version of the story based on what i actually have you know not what was written in the script because that doesn't matter anymore that's not the reality of the footage that i have uh same thing it's not the director's intent if they didn't get the shot uh, or the sequence that's going to help with a transition or showing a, a character's emotional arc uh, so it's up to me to figure out how the pieces that I do have can fit together to tell the best story possible. And that's just super exciting for me. Yeah. So what got you into filmmaking in the first place? Yeah, I started off um, doing a lot of educational technology. That was sort of what I went to school for. Um, I loved teaching and learning. Um, and then I sort of discovered um, along the way, a lot of the kind of early uh, computer-based learning uh like early, early e-learning days uh, and kind of was experimenting with that just in terms of kind of how to best present content and, and teach people. And video is a part of that. Although video, you know, digital video anyways, was was pretty painful. Um, I didn't start back in the film uh, or, or tape days. I really, my my journey with, with filmmaking started with digital uh, around the time that the first uh, sort of medium 100 systems came along and you were able to digitize tapes, first early versions of Premiere and Final Cut. And I've always had kind of a, a, a visual eye. I've been doing photography for, for years and years and years, and it was just a natural transition as sort of video and, and stills started to kind of blend. You could do the same things on, on the cameras. It's been, you know, other than just, you know, fun little projects as, as a kid playing around with like stop motion and stuff like that. It was really when uh, I started my, my master's at, at SDSU in, in educational technology and figuring out how to use this, this very powerful medium, you know, where we've got visuals, we have sound um, to, to how to use that to most effectively help people learn. And then after that, um, over time, I got into um, a training department here at a local credit union and was starting to do video internally and just looking for ways that I could kind of continue to grow my skill set. I was always curious about uh, film, but didn't go to film school or anything like that. And then I attended some early San Diego filmmakers meetings um, and some early media pros meetings where uh, folks were talking about uh, the 48 hour film project and films that they had made. And that sounded so fascinating and interesting to me as a, as far as like a, just a logistical <laughs> challenge, like nothing else to try to write, shoot and edit a film in the space of two days. Uh, but just a great way to have a, like a very condensed, like intense, um, creative kind of process and time frame that could fit into, you know, my busy, like nine to five, like family life. Like I can't go away for two weeks and shoot a film, but I can, you know, wor work for over the course of a weekend and hopefully come up with something great at the end of it. So that's kind of how I kind of grew from an internal kind of corporate video person and an educational video person into doing more uh, filmmaking, at least uh, for fun as a hobby. Yeah. And uh, most of your films in the 48 hour win or are, you know, pretty high up there in quality. Yeah. So yeah, kudos been, to you. We've been really lucky. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We've been, we've been really lucky. We've had great writing from, from uh, our team members, um, you know, amazing uh, acting and, you know, technical execution with the camera. Um, I think the, the team that I'm a part of is called Canary Storm. Um, and yeah, we've been sort of in the top three, uh, at least four or five times and like one once plus other kind of 
nominations for, you know, writing, directing, editing. But we tell unique stories. It's not the same sort of cliche story that you've seen a hundred times. And we know how to kind of tell a story with a beginning, a middle and an end. So it's complete at the end of it, which is hard to do in the best of cases. And it's even harder on a 48. Yeah. And I love the San Diego community because I think that as a whole, everybody is so friendly and nice and really wants to help out help each other out. So I just think uh, what a wonderful community to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was really struck by when I went to those first couple of, of meetings where people were talking about the, the 48. Um, and then I got invited to, to show up at one of the, the meeting greets that the uh, producers for the 48 put on um, and get a chance to meet other filmmakers and find a team. Um, and so, yeah, very, very welcoming. I, I, I totally agree that San Diego is, is a much more kind of friendly and welcoming and supportive uh, filmmaking community than I've heard exists other other places. I don't have personal experience, you know, in LA or, or other places uh, where it may be more competitive. Uh, I think San Diego is small enough that uh, everybody is kind of, there's a sense of kind of camaraderie and, and teamwork across the board um, just because there's not, we're not kind of fighting each other for, for work. There's, there's so little that we all want to make sure we, we are successful. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so what system do you use to edit? Uh, my my preferred system is still um, Final Cut Pro. Um, I've edited films in um, Premiere as well. Um, I haven't done a full edit in Resolve. I mostly just use that for like color correction or or special cases or transcoding, you know, Blackmagic RAW into a format that I can use in another system. Uh, but Final Cut Pro is still my my go to uh, system because I'm just so fast on it compared to to anything else. Um, I really feel like it gets out of the way and I can just focus on story. Um, focus on the edit and and um, I'm spending less time fiddling with the actual software. And is that the is that the program that you just that you started on? So therefore, that's what you continue to use? No, no, I I started on uh, Premiere back w- before it was Adobe back when it was, you know, the the Macromedia version, you know, like Premiere, like one or two. Um, and then um, after I got good at that, I started learning Final Cut 3. Um, so way back when, again, we're talking early, like mini DV, like tape days, uh, where it's like a lot of the whole, like, the capture and logging of footage in real time to get it digitized and into your editor was a whole process. Then I kind of stayed in Final Cut, especially because I started focusing more on uh, using the Mac. Um, I had built PCs and supported PCs for a long time in college, but once OS 10 came out um, and the, um, the, the MacBook Pros, um, the first sort of generation of MacBook Pros were just these amazing machines and I loved them and um, I started really focusing on on the Mac side of things which meant um, Final Cut was a was a better option there. I love Final Cut that's what I learned on I haven't worked in Adobe and I remember the jump from what it was it like seven to ten or something mm-hmm. it just felt like it was a jump and then it was very different and then yeah. I was like oh my god what am I going to do but mm-hmm. but then once you get into it it really is a great system. Yeah, and great that, improvement. There is a learning curve. Um, Mike Tao and our group likes to call it a learning wall because it's so steep to to switch gears from a, a track based editing mindset to the magnetic timeline where things sort of live in this little area and will kind of snap and move around. But once you learn the power and the flexibility of that, it's it's huge. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't go back. I don't think like, honestly, as an editor, I would have been as successful or our team would have been as successful in the 48s. 
um, if I was using another system, I would probably get faster and, and get there. But I'm able to just kind of focus on story and we're able to be so confident in the process and not fighting technology up until the very last second when we have to export and turn in a file. Uh, yeah, so it works a lot better for me. And then I've also done some some longer form stuff in Final Cut as well. And it just holds up remarkably well. I've done some longer films that are that are on their way out to festivals. Um, nothing feature length yet other than some sort of like live event coverage and edits and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's been, you know, so comforting and reassuring as an editor to know I've got a tool I can rely on that I'm not like constantly having to fight to, to kind of get to get to where I'm going. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, especially with the 48s, because there's such such a pressure to get it in on time. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and you have to get it in on time if you're going to do it. Yep, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, do you tend to work alone as an editor, or do you work with directors and producers on some of their short films? Yeah. Uh, so most of the time, you know, a, a director or producer is going to bring me in to edit. The typical way it works um, for for me, and you know, every editor is a little bit different. But from what I've I've gathered from others we all kind of have a, a similar ish process where we'll we'll get footage and and maybe we'll get some some notes from set um where the director um will say you know okay we switched this for this or we we did this instead obviously you're going to look through any script supervisor notes or things like that to kind of know what you have coming in and then it's up to me as an editor initially to just kind of spend time with the footage and review it all and get familiar with what is there um, and then usually I'll have an opportunity to do an initial cut or two on my own to kind of get a sense of how it's, how it's working. I'm referring to the script to make sure I'm putting things in the proper order or if I have any questions on sort of what the intent was for a scene. Um, but I really try to spend some time just on my own. Um, again, sort of like putting the pieces together based on what I have, not the sort of the vision of what could have been at the start of the process, but okay, what is the reality of what I have? What do I think is the best version of this? And then once I've got a cut that I feel is is good enough to review with, with a director, um, at least a director, if not the director and the producer, then um, we'll figure out whether that's in person here in my office, um, in my edit suite, or virtually these days, you know, over a Zoom session, watching the the cut together, collecting notes, and then I'll kind of go back and do do that revision process a little bit until we get to, you know, a final product that we're happy with. I agree. And I, I think that that's the best way a director should use their editor is have the editor do the first pass uh, to put the video together and then come in and critique it. Because I worked with somebody in my early days of editing, mm-hmm. and he sat in and edited the whole thing with me. Like it he should have just learned how to edit. That's how it felt. And I was like, this is so slow. I mean, I could move a lot faster yeah. if I just had the yeah. time alone to put it together. And then yeah. you can make those nuanced tweaks. Yep. I've, I have done a couple of projects like that. And yeah, it's it's frustrating as an editor when you feel like you're just being used as you like that your hands, like you're you're just being hands for the person to drive the the software. That's not as gratifying, you know, creatively or anything like that. And like you said, it is a very slow process because yeah, that person is trying to translate what they want to you, so you can just mechanically do it, and just takes a really long time. And I think the end result is not as good either. I think um, having fresh perspective, having a different perspective of an editor who's not the director is really valuable because they're going to see different things. They're going to react to different things in the footage. Um, I, I think one of the, the main skill sets of an editor is not knowing how to drive the software, but like being able to put themselves in the shoes of the audience and understand like, okay, here's how this moment comes across. I know you spent 
an hour getting this shot <laughs> on set, but as an audience member, I don't care. This isn't doing it for me. Let's what let's if we do it this way, look at how more impactful this moment is. Look at how much more, you know, funny this is or scary this is or whatever it is based on the the type of story that you're you're telling. Um, and so the editor's job is really to kind of be that proxy for the audience and say, here's what's important in in this. And the the director can't often have that kind of objectivity because they've spent all that time on set sweating over getting all the footage and working with the actors and the crew to make it all happen. And so that's, that's what I really try to do as, as an editor is maintain that objectivity as long as I can into the process. Yeah. And it's always hard when um, there's that one shot that the director did and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, there's always there's always going to be that that pet shot, that favorite shot that they just envisioned in their mind was going to be this most you know amazing cinematic moment. And then it just doesn't work. And then you have to like have that hard conversation and be honest with them and say, this doesn't work. This is making the film worse by keeping it in because of all these reasons. And at the end of the day, the director is the one in charge and they get to make that call. But you as an editor need to, again, kind of put that out there, try to be that that voice of kind of what the alternative is give them a a couple chances show them the alternative and if they still want to go that way that's that's ultimately their call but but yeah you have to try to to um uh, help them see when those hard cuts need to (laughs) have to happen right and and i mean you're making a good point that when you are working when an editor is working with a director it's very important to communicate because sometimes there are directors that do not edit and they don't understand so you have to just you know speak in layman terms to um, help them understand what you can do Mm -hmm. and what you can't do, but also what's the workarounds because we always know the workarounds. (laughs) Yeah. And lots of times, you know, yeah. Um, Find an alternative way to cut a scene, you know, swap shots around, um, you know, and also as an editor, you know, being open to other ideas and input and trying something and seeing if it works. And maybe, maybe that other idea is better and you want to go that route, or you kind of combine two different ideas and try something different. I think that's one of the great things about um, kind of the modern editing systems and everything being nonlinear is it's very easy to swap things around and rearrange and try different versions of scenes, you know, compared to the old film days where it's like, it's really hard to redo cuts and film and re-splice stuff. Exactly. Um, and that's a very destructive process where the actual quality of the, the image can start to break down or you're having to, you know, order a lot of, you know, additional film um, processing, um, which is, you know, expensive and just can't be done. So, so yeah, we have, unless, you know, it's a major time crunch, um, you've got the opportunity to experiment and try things. Right. Yeah. And I also think that there is something to having a director at least sit in on an edit. I know that we can Mm -hmm. now do it through zoom. So that's cool. But then there's always that delay, the time delay. Um, But I think it's important because um, I've had it where I get these notes I think I understand what the notes are. I edit it, send it back, and then they're like, no, that's not what I wanted. And so then it just takes more time. Um, What are your thoughts about getting notes versus in person or on Zoom? Yeah, so a a couple things about that. One is it's great for a a director and editor to work together multiple times because that communication starts to get easier. Um, I think that's why there's certain, you know, Hollywood directors that always use their same 
uh, editors all the time, Scorsese and uh, Thelma Schumacher, um, just work together all the time. They speak the same language. They know they can anticipate what the other one wants and is going to do. So an ongoing relationship helps if if you can, if you've got sort of a steady team that's working together. Um, if not, um, I, I really like using the, the modern sort of video review tools that are out there like Frame.io uh, or Whipster because it helps with kind of pinpointing like a moment. So you can, you know, essentially what the way these tools work is it's a video player, sort of like YouTube, but there's a little comment um, box underneath it. And whenever you pause the video and leave a comment, it's, it's stuck right to that um, time code, that exact moment. And you can also have, there's some drawing tools so you can sketch on the screen and point an arrow at something very, and communicate very visually and directly. Like, here's what I want changed. Like this shot needs to be longer or cut this a little bit shorter, like right in that moment. And that helps with that translation uh, quite a bit. Um, and then, yeah, I, what I, what I've done for, for recent films is I'll, I'll do my, my cuts and then maybe I'll send that link for them, for the director producers to review it on their own, leave some comments, and then we'll hop on the phone or hop on a zoom together to talk through their notes. And that way I, th- I think it's the best of both worlds because they get a chance to just watch it and react to it and then we'll get a chance to kind of make sure we're on the same page and um, nothing's getting lost in translation between the, the way they're saying versus the way I'm, I'm interpreting it and that seems to work pretty well um, yeah and you brought up a good point about that I forgot about that I did work with another director which she used uh, Vimeo yeah Vimeo has some some uh, review tools as well yeah yeah and and it was really cool because then I could get on I got right to her cut where it's like, you know, people can tell you it's around the three minute mark. And then you're like, okay, there's a lot around the three minute mark. Which one, do, which one are you talking about? But yeah, so I, I agree. I think that that's another great tool. So thank you for bringing that one up. Um, and then I'm always curious when I'm talking to other editors, because everybody's got their process when they get a film. What is your process when you've dumped all the media onto your hard drive? What do you do to start a project? Sure. Um, so I, I have not had too many projects where I've had the benefit of an assistant editor who can help with the kind of the initial organization and like syncing and renaming and all those sort of steps that, that have to happen first. So um, I try my best to do that part of the process first, um, that organization process without watching the footage too much. Cause I want that to be a separate process. So I'll, I'll go through all, if I'm, if I've got dual system sound, if I've got separate audio files, um, I'll, I'll sync those up with the, um, the, the video from the, the camera or cameras, if it's multicam, um, I'll rename things. So just going based on the slate slates and the, the script supervisor notes, uh, renaming things to make sure I've got, um, the scene, you know, seeing number and letter and take information all in there. Um, make sure I've got everything um, kind of organized um, and depends on the, the scope of the project. If I'll do sort of an additional uh, set of organization and use like events or keywords for like scenes or sections of scenes um, or like reels, if you will, of like an old film. So you can kind of organize it in 15, 20 minute chunks of the film um, and keep those separate. Um then the most important part is to just sit down and watch everything, watch every take. Um, and then as I do that, I'm typically trimming off the um, everything before action and then everything after cut. Um, and the way I do that is in Final Cut, you can just reject um, set 
parts of the footage. So I'm not actually cutting the clip or, or deleting or removing anything. I'm just saying, I don't want to see this anymore when I'm reviewing my, my takes, my, when I'm reviewing my footage. So you can use the reject feature in Final Cut and that just hides it based on your view. You can still go back and get it later um, or see it later, which I do sometimes if I'm looking for like a moment or a reaction from a character that didn't happen in a take, sometimes you can find something before the camera rolls. If the actor is already sort of like settled in or even just kind of like looking around, you can kind of steal uh, a moment like that sometimes. Um, but I'm, I'm cleaning off the, the heads and tails, uh, of clips and then starting to watch and start to take my notes as far as, um, the, the good performances, the ones that didn't have any technical issues, uh, with, you know, focus or a camera bump or sound or whatever. Um, and then start to get my sense of, okay, what is the story that's, that's kind of coming out based on the footage? Do you put them into to bins like scenes so that, you know, you know, scene one is in this bin. So everything for that, or do you just have all the media in there? <laughs> so it depends on sort of the scope of the project. So a, a longer film where I might need to to do that. Um, I'll, I'll, the, I'll either use the keyword function um, in Final Cut, which essentially is it's dynamic bins. Um, so you can say anything that has this keyword applied to it will show up um, in a folder as if it were in a bin. Um, and things can be in multiple bins too, which is again, one of the things I love about Final Cut is you can have, you know, all your footage for a certain character. You can have a, a like a, a character key, uh, key name in there, um, uh, keyword in there or, um, close-ups or, you know, MOS, like things without sound that are just like B-roll or inserts. Um, you can have different ways of categorizing footage. So I'll typically do that if it's a longer project and I have the time for the 48s, it's usually just renaming and going because you don't have that much time. It's a shorter film. It's like, you know, a five minute, six minute film. Uh, but for things that I've done that where it's more like 25, 30 minutes long. Um, yeah, I'm definitely making use of those organizational tools to help, um, know if I'm going to go back and look for footage, I'm not scrolling through, you know, hundreds of hours <laughs> of footage to look for, for a key moment. So you've written and directed and edited for short films of your own. And I was talking to Aiden on the podcast with him and uh, talking about because he's the same writer, director and editor. And so am I, I've written and directed and edited three films. So I was just kind of curious, like going through the process of, you know, when you're writing something, I'm sure you're starting to already see the movie in your head, then you go to direct it. Um, and then you go to edit it. And I kind of feel like you have, well, Typically, you would have like kind of really three directors, the writer who creates it, the director who directs it, and then the editor who actually puts it all together. But when we're all the same person, do you ever feel like potentially get lost because you're so involved or um, you just can't see it any other way? I'll say it's probably not the best way to get um to, to put together a story, uh, kind of going back to the point I made earlier where having a fresh perspective you know, that's different at the, in the editing step, at least really helps. Even if you're working with a writer director, having somebody else edit it can again, provide that, that good objectivity. Cause yeah, if, if I wrote something and directed it, I'm, I already have it in my mind and I'm just going to edit what, what I thought in advance, which can be fast and very smooth sometimes. Um, other times, you know, you sort of work yourself into a corner story-wise and you, do, you don't have a good way out of it that you can think of because you're so close to it because you've been living and breathing it all the way through the, the writing and directing process. So it's not ideal, um, but um, I've done it for, you know, again, for like 48s and, and small short film projects and things like that where I have a specific idea. And it's also good practice for me as an editor to know what it feels like in the writing and the, in the directing phase. It's a chance for me to kind of 
pre-edit a little bit to have some empathy and some sympathy for, you know, the struggles on set of trying to get um, the trying to get the footage, trying to make your day. Um, so I think it's good. And, and I think it's, it's a definitely transferable skills. Um, everybody that, that can um, should work up and down the process because I think it's really good perspective. Um, if you are a writer working with editors is going to teach you some things that you should, some different approaches to try in your writing to kind of help make sure that the things carry through to the end and, and the edit, same thing, directing directors, and people from on set, you know, DPs should work with editors occasionally and see what it's like when stuff comes into the edit suite and, and how things have to adjust. So I think I, I just see it as cross training. It's it's good for filmmaking. Again, we're such a small market in San Diego that everybody has to wear a lot of hats. Everybody has to kind of be flexible and do lots of different things. Um, we're not going to specialize down to the level that, um, you know, a large market like LA could do. Yeah. But I also think that like you're saying is, um, it's a good talent to have if, if you can do this is to, um, work in all facets of production, mm-hmm. especially if you're a director, because you, you're going to learn so much about what you can and cannot yep. do. And, you know, also networking with mm-hmm. people. I think as a writer, director and editor, like you're saying, it's kind of cool because when you're writing something, you're already directing it in your head and you know, and you're also editing it. Because you know, oh, wait, now will that cut with that? And and also directing, it kind of gives you that, okay, wait a minute, I have to cut to this. What what can I do right now? Versus, you know, somebody who doesn't edit and then they direct something and then they give it to you and you're like, oh my God, I need this shot. I can't, it's a jump cut, you know, or something. It helps you really be ruthless with coverage. So if you are really in, in a time crunch, you, you, you don't need to do, you know, full triangle coverage with everything, right? You don't need to do a full wide master to shot. You don't need to do each over the shoulder. You know, okay, I'm going to start the scene wide and then I'm going to go in close. So I'll make sure I get the first part of the scene, you know, set up like this. And then I'll make sure I get some other key, key moments um, and close-ups. And as an editor, you know, like you're always going to need a cutaway. You're always going to need an insert shot just to cover something. So make sure you get those, make sure um, you have those and you don't spend time doing, you know, a wide shot, a medium close, a close, an extreme close, um, when you're not going to need those for the entire long scene, right? You're going to make sure you get just those crucial elements. I think that probably you learn that over time. <laughs> like, you know, when you're new, you're like, oh my God, I got to get everything. And then when you're, no, don't need that. And don't need yeah. that. And don't need the extreme close up for this scene. It doesn't mm-hmm. work, you know, and think yeah. about the feeling that you want your um, audience to get. What, what are your thoughts about Final Cut versus Adobe Premiere? Mm-hmm. I, I think they're both great tools for for different types of projects. Uh, there's a lot of overlap, so it's it's to me it's up to the, the the editor as far as what they feel works best for them. I will definitely say if you are working with a lot of other uh, Adobe apps, Photoshop, Illustrator, After Effects, and just everything staying in the Adobe ecosystem makes a lot of sense. If you're going to be you know round tripping and, and sending things out through dynamic linking for After Effects, special effects um, types of things, it it just makes sense. For me, like like I said before, like I feel like I'm so much faster and more creative in Final Cut um, because of the way it works. But um, I I've done uh, films in Premiere Pro. We use Premiere Pro at my at work. My day job is managing a video production team at UC San Diego, and we use Premiere because it's a it's a mix of Macs and PCs there, and so um, we have to have the same software across the board for everybody to work on. So it just makes sense in that situation as well. And isn't it easier to share projects as well because you can just go online 
versus Final Cut doesn't have that. You have to really go through some hoops to try to get any sort of like shared project workflow, unfortunately, with Final Cut. I'm hoping it's something that Apple sees value in and, and will develop over time. But yeah, there's no sort of like shared like team workflows in Final Cut. You have to do a lot of work to kind of pass libraries back and forth, uh, which I've done with other editors here in town on projects. Um but it's not as smooth and seamless as it is in in Premiere or in Resolve. Resolve has some is starting to develop those same kinds of like project sharing workflows too. And then there's DaVinci Resolve, um, which is amazing in color grading. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think that will be as you were saying? Uh, do you think DaVinci Resolve will be more of an up and runner uh, competing with the Adobe Premiere? Um, I, I, the way that black magic design has been developing that app lately, they are certainly putting the, the R and D and the funding into it to, to make it a real competitor and it's free as well, which is huge, um, for the, the stand, the standard version, the studio version is, you know, 300 bucks, uh, one time where you get a license with a lot of their cameras these days. Um, I, I do think it's a competitor. A lot of people sort of, uh, on the final cut side of things kind of, uh, call it uh, final cut eight. Because it really is sort of like the next version of what Final Cut Seven could have been. It's still staying in like a track best track based editor, um, but it's it's more advanced. It's very highly capable. Um, I haven't used the 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 fusion or the um, uh, the audio um, aspects of it yeah, as much either. Fairlight. But it's like Fairlight. Yeah, I haven't used those as much. Um, but like they are building an entire suite into this one app, which is um, pretty amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm very curious to see uh, how that will continue to develop. To develop. Um, they are very quick to respond to like the new um, uh, the new Mac hardware, the new um, processors and the MacBook Pros. The performance on those is supposed to be amazing, um, uh, which is really good to see. So I think it's a real competitor, which is great. I think it's still a, b- a little bit uh, niche. It's still the building out some of the the basic pieces, but they are they are making up ground very very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a phenomenal tool. Um, my friend Mark De Leon, he was the one that said you need. I, you know, I was a Final Cut Pro. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not changing. And then he's like, no, you got to get on DaVinci, especially if I'm going to color your films. And and because it's free, I think that's amazing. And I like that it's $300 like Final Cut. I don't like that Adobe Premiere went to subscription. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But I like that it's, you know, God, it's free. I mean, that's a great, great starter for anybody that's starting editing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And like you said, if anybody is really going to be doing strong color correction, if they're, you're working with any sort of like raw um, codecs like Red or Blackmagic, um, then yeah, it, it's a no-brainer to, to do your edit there and make sure you've got a very straightforward process to, to do the final color grade. Whenever I'm doing projects where I have to have animated text or flying stuff, I'll go back to Final Cut because mm-hmm. I know it so well. And there's also so many plugins and third-party tools that you can very quickly find and put into your 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 project. I think that's one of the other main things that sort of gets overlooked is the strength of all the kind of third-party content um, that's out there for all the you know motion VFX content or the stuff on FX Factory. I've used uh, so many of those different tools to just kind of take an edit and kind of add a little something special um, that would take forever, or like going off to you know uh, After Effects to to 
develop an entire, you know, motion graphics animation when you can do it with like a, a plugin and just drop it right on your timeline. And that's really big. Yeah, I agree. And that's probably another reason why I keep going back to Final Cut because I've bought so many plugins for that, that I don't want to now have to buy all those plugins for um, DaVinci. What would you recommend for anyone wanting to get into editing? Watch movies, watch TV shows. There's so many great streaming TV shows now too that are that are done to the same, you know, level of production quality as movies. But but watch stuff you like and then rewatch it. And then and start to, you know, watch it the first time just to enjoy the story and watch it again to pay attention to what's going on um, with the editing. How the editor, if they're doing a good job, is setting up uh, a moment, a reveal, um, how scenes kind of flow together, transitions, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then one of the other things I recommend these days, there's so many online like editing um, like contests and competitions where they give you footage to work with. So even if you're not, you know, even if you don't know how to shoot stuff yourself, even if you're not working on film projects with other people and you just want to practice, there's these online competitions where they'll give you a whole set of footage and sort of like a basic prompt and you can just play with it and practice and learn. Um, I think that's super valuable. Uh, The only thing that makes you get better as an editor is to just do it and to see what works and what doesn't. Um, You you can read books and I, and I do recommend that everybody that's interested in, in editing read, you know, Walter Murch's in the blink of an eye. I recommend people read Norman Holland's uh, lean forward moment. Um, read story um, books too, you know, read Robert McKee's story or save the cat. Even if you don't uh, agree with all the, the ideas in that read books about writing as well as um, editing. But the only way to get better is to actually do it and try putting a scene together and rework it and craft it and find how tight can you cut something, you know, take, take extra frames out until it stops working, put frames back. That's the only way you get better. And then that muscle memory or those instincts start to get honed where you can call on them more quickly. And you start to develop your sort of idea of how to control pacing, how to control tone, how to um, make sure you know, the audience is going to pay attention to the right things at the right time in a story. So yeah, hands-on practice and definitely look look for some of those sort of online contests where they'll give you footage. So you don't have an excuse, even if you don't know how to shoot stuff yourself. Right. I think those are all really good points. And it made me think about some things. Um, one is, is like, I heard from, you know, I'm terrible at names, but um, I remember somebody saying that watch the video without sound so you can see all the cuts. Um, two is, is that I feel like this is what I do now is like, and this is probably even good for directors as well is watch the film and see how many shots did the person do to do that one scene. Um, so I'm always looking at, Oh, they did a close up. Now they went to a wide shot. Now they're over here. And then, you know, how many, um, actual shots did they do just to, to create that scene? So that's kind of interesting too, as a director or even a DP for that matter to, to see how, uh, to compose a shot. No, that's a that's a really good good point. I love that. Um, I love that advice to watch. You know, with sound off. I also do the opposite sometimes. Uh, encourage people to listen to to a scene um, because you get a better sense if you don't have the picture. You get a better sense of, I think, pacing and timing. Like you're listening to like a, a like an, a radio show or something like that. You, or you're going to hear those those transitions or those other kinds of sounds that kind of cover for, for cuts or can help make a cut feel, feel softer or land harder if you need to. So it's, it's a good idea to kind of think about both sides of those because they're so important in the process. Oh, I totally agree. Um, that's a great point because a lot of times if I want to 
see if a cut's working. I'll close my eyes and listen just to make mm-hmm. sure, does it cut well? You know, mm-hmm. and also, um, I was just thinking about when you're cutting shots, you're right. Like, did this is what I always say to myself, like when I'm wa- watching a cut or something, I'm just like, okay, did something take me out of it? And that I'm realizing that I'm watching a film. Mm-hmm. And once I've done that, I know there's something wrong yeah. in the cut. So I think that those yeah. are all great yeah. things. So any last words that you'd like to say to our listeners? Man, I don't know. Hi, hi listeners. Hopefully, hopefully you've enjoyed our, our conversation. It, it's been great to, to chat with you, Tammy, about all this stuff. Um, I, I love filmmaking, editing, uh, and editing. Um, I'm getting ready, actually, to do uh, the Four Points uh, film project this weekend uh, with my family. Uh, my my wife and, and kids, we all did it last year and had a blast. Um, and produced a, a sweet little film uh so we're we're going to be back out at this this uh weekend trying again um and so uh yeah i just always love the chance to kind of talk talk shop with folks and, and kick these ideas around well thank you so much robin for being on the show i i'm so it's just been a pleasure and an honor to have you yeah my pleasure tammy thanks for inviting me thank you so much for listening i encourage you to get out there and make a film reach out to your local filmmakers group to get involved and connect. Please subscribe to the show if you like it and follow me on Instagram at Tammy McGarrow. Until we meet again, what's your story?